All right, what's happening? What's going on? Welcome into Sports Betting Daily. Uh, as you can tell, we got a little behind this week. I let everyone know that I'm taking some classes again, back taking a few classes, and uh, just got swamped this week with everything. So what we're going to do for the Wednesday show and Thursday show is do a playback of a summer series that I did, How to Be a Pro. It's a five-part series. So what we're going to do is this podcast and then the you know whatever the Thursday pod would be, we're going to replay five podcasts in those two days and uh, just kind of jam everything in there. So I think this one's going to be like an hour long. Uh, the one that we're going to play for the Thursday podcast is going to be like 30 or 40 minutes. So this is in its entirety. Uh, it, the first three episodes today, the next two episodes, the next podcast, which we'll post right after this, obviously, because we're recording this right now on a Friday. So, and then we'll come out with a Friday pod right after. So hope you enjoy this. It's uh, parts one, two, and three on this podcast for the summer series that we did, How to Be a Pro. Uh, hope you enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. What is going on? Uh, on today's show, we're going to start a series. Uh, I got onto t- to Twitter recently and saw some people had reached out about you know me doing more shows or letting people know more about how to become a pro, how to do this legitimately long-term, either for a living or just how to make more money doing this. So I thought it was a good time of the year, kind of slower in July for the next couple of weeks on Wednesdays. So Wednesdays only, next couple of weeks, we'll be doing a how to become a pro series on the show. And so let's just start off today with some basics. This is part one today. Uh, part one's going to be the base, like what you need going in, all the basics you need before you think about anything else going into sports betting. So let's just start off right here. I've got five main things. And uh, number one, I know this is, let's just get this out of the way because I know no one likes this one. But to me, this is inevitable. And I also want to clarify this. All of this stuff is my own opinion, my own experience. There are many ways to become a professional. This is one of them. This has worked for me these next couple Wednesdays in the series. This is what I've done. And I 100% believe this is repeatable, but there's many ways to do this. This isn't the way. This is my way and how I know how to do it. So anyway, all right, five main things. Number one, let's get this out of the way, the math. Okay, now whenever I talk about math, I know you all start to freak out when you hear this. And I understand why. Like no one seems to like doing math or statistics, but the reality is, I believe, you unfortunately don't have much of a chance to win long term unless you're using some kind of math, ideally some kind of complex math system. You know, I, I just I've been doing this long enough and I've tried. Trust me, I've tried different ways. I don't think looking at ESPN or any other, you know, even if you have all these access to different analytics websites and if you bet college basketball and use Ken Palm and if you bet college football and you use five different paid sources, like even those I don't believe are enough. You have to have your own way of looking at things. And, you know, again, this is kind of like the sad reality. That's why I'm starting with this. Just get it out of the way because no one likes to hear this. But I just think that, after doing this for such a long time, you, we have to remember a couple things. This is a multiplayer game. Okay, when we bet sports, it's not us versus the sports book; it's us versus the sports book as well as everyone who's bet before us. Which, for the majority of, of people listening right now, that's a ton of reputable sports bettors who are moving the line, moving the number. You know, I mean, I mean, we're talking people betting the NFL on Monday morning when most of you are betting it on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, so. It's a multiplayer game, and and we have to remember that. So if you want to win, you have to fight fire with fire. 
in my opinion. And what that means is you have to do what sports books and sports bettors are doing to get the number they think is bettable or not bettable. Because you looking at yards after catch on ESPN, you are so far behind. If you don't approach it with some sort of math, you're lost. So here's how you can. If if you if this sounds like not a great start for you, here's how you can uh, 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 incorporate math. You can either learn for yourself. Well, that's what I chose to do. Most people don't want to do that. Okay, so there's two other options. You can either partner with someone who you know, partners with someone who you meet, uh, who knows math, who can help you build a program. Or you can also pay someone, right? You can go to anywhere online like Fiverr or uh, what's the other one? Upwork. You can find people to like do this for you. So you can certainly pay other people to do this. Now, it's not, it doesn't have to be super complex. I, it's, it's ideal that the further you go, it gets more and more complex. But if you don't want to do that stuff and you want to do this yourself, but don't want to get really crazy with it, I think it's okay to do something as easy as take your three favorite stat sites you know, like your three favorite sites that have good statistics, maybe even advanced stats, and make your own average of the three. Start making your own numbers and own predictions and own statistics with averages and collections of other stats. It's the easiest way to get going if you really don't know where else to start. But, you know, I've said this before, and, and I don't mean to bring it up for any other reason, just to let you all know where I'm coming from. But I do, I am a data scientist. I've been studying now. I'm still in school you know, for this stuff. I've been doing it for years. And I, I did it because I got to the, to the realization that I wasn't using math enough and I wasn't winning enough because of this very reason. I, I, I was betting on speculation. I was betting on whims. I was betting on certain things I thought existed. But once you learn how to use and manipulate data, the, 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 the game opens up for you. Sports betting becomes so different. So you've got to be able to use math in a complex way and I think it needs to be very complex. So I'm just going to put that out there. Everything else is going to be, it's not going to be that, you know, freaky out that much, but that's number one. You got to have some way of incorporating math. All right. Number two, you have to have the ability to be as neutral and unbiased and clear minded as possible when handicapping, when you're watching games and when you're reviewing games, it may be the most important when you're, rev- when you're reviewing your own handicaps. And what I mean by this is there's going to be a lot of things that we talk about either in this podcast or other podcasts in this series where it's up to us to approach it from a, as non-biased a point of view as we can. You know, we'll talk about things like not being a fan and and understanding, you know, uh, uh, what it's like to be overcome when you're betting on your own team or looking at stats or a lot of us decide who we want to bet before we actually dive in. And then all these other stats that we do are just trying to, you know, uh, uh, what, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Just sort of like like back up our own knowledge already, like prove what we already think we know. You know, if the... If the Broncos are playing the Chargers, most of us know who we want to bet on. So we start handicapping, and most of the information we find, we look at through a biased lens because we know who we want to bet on, either consciously or subconsciously. So this has been one of the biggest things that I think has helped me, having the ability to shed that fandom, you know, to get rid of the idea that I grew up as a Broncos fan, and I watched the Rockies as a kid growing up and all that stuff, because if you approach things either really skeptical about your team or really, really optimistic about your team, it's going to skew the way you look at things. And this happens all across the board. I'm sure most of you aren't a fan of like Oklahoma football or, 
you know, the, the Cleveland Browns, but Baker Mayfield is a polarizing figure. So you don't have to be a fan of a team to let an individual sway you one way or another or bias you one way or another. So I think that number two is way overlooked and not enough people talk about this. You have to approach sports betting as unbiased and neutral and clear-minded as possible. Otherwise, you're going to get killed, in my opinion. So I know it's sort of like an ambiguous thing, but I think that's very important for people to have and for people to remember as we're going through some of these other bullet points. So that's the, those are the first two, math and then what I just said, have the ability to be as unbiased as possible. All right, number three, you've got to have knowledge of the market. And if you've been listening to the show now for a while, I believe that you do have good knowledge of the market. We talk about this a lot. But that this, in, this includes knowing how lines are made, knowing why and how lines move, uh, knowing why sports books make the decisions they do and why other sports bettors make the decisions that they do. You know, we have to know why books open lines the way they do. We have to know why. How are we supposed to find a good line or find a cheap line if we don't know how the sports books are doing what they're doing? Right? Reverse engineering is a big deal in this. And how are we supposed to know if, if you know, what other sports or what other sports betters are thinking if we just blindly see a line's going from two to three and we don't know why it's going from two to three or who's making that move? So no knowledge of the market is really, really important. And in that, I'll actually say making your own lines. Because if you know how the market works, you know how lines are made, you can make your own lines. So knowledge of the market's very, very important. How lines are made, why lines move, how lines move, why sports books and other sports betters are making their decisions, and then how to make your own lines. Number four, I think that you've, and this, this is getting a little less important, number four, but I think that you do have to know the sport that you're betting on a, a pretty healthy amount. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be an expert. As a matter of fact, being an expert could be a big negative, and we'll get there in a second, but knowing the sport is very important because you have to handicap, and you have to be able to judge your own handicap. This goes back to kind of being unbiased. When, when we handicap a game and we really crush that game, we have to know, we, we have to go back and say, okay, well, how was the handicap? We can't just take for granted that because we won by a lot of points, the handicap was great. I, I'll tell you, uh, you know, dozens of times where I have made a bet, I have destroyed that bet, right? Maybe like a minus three football bet and win by, win by four touchdowns. But you still have to go back. And, and, and there's been a ton of times where I, what I was saying is there's been dozens of times where I've killed a line and I've killed a number and my team has won by a lot. And I've gone back and been like, damn, that wasn't a great handicap. I mean, you answer me this, okay? You may be saying, how does that ever happen? I'll give you an example of how that, hands, how that happens. Answer me this. If you handicap a game, and here's your end handicap. Here's your approach to you betting on the game. You say, I like team A minus, or I like team A uh, plus three over team B. And the reason is, I don't think there's going to be any points scored this game. I think there's going to be so few points scored. That three is going to be so powerful that, I mean, I don't see either team getting to 16, 17 points, Right. And so you have team A plus three over team B. Well, let's say team A wins 55 to 54 and you cover your spread and you were right. Is your handicap correct? No, your handicap was dead wrong. You thought it was going to be a low scoring game. That's why you made the bet. Just because you happen to win the bet doesn't make that a good handicap. So you've got to be able to go back and handicap your own handicap. And that also includes handicapping the sport, what happened that game, did the quarterback make any good moves, bad moves, things that we can project going forward. How was the goaltending? How was the coaching? All that stuff. You have to kind of know 
if you're going to watch the game, watch, you know, handicap the game, recap the game, and recap your own handicap of, of, the, <laughs> of the game. So, you know, again, I don't think this is as big of a deal. When I first started betting the Premier League, Premier League, I didn't know a whole lot about it. And I actually believe that helped me initially. Now, I knew a lot about soccer, but not a lot about the players or the coaches, things like that, which helped me because I wasn't so stuck on only betting on Man City and never betting on, you know, whoever, Southampton at the time. Like, when you watch the sport so much and you become someone, such an adamant fan, the downside of being a fan is that fans are way more likely to get sucked into the, to the common narratives they can't escape from, you know? And then they end up betting on or against those narratives. That's why the favorites get bet so often, especially by the public. The public watches ESPN. They watch all the games. They know all the players. And they'd, you know, to a fan who watches every game and is an expert, they, they have the mentality of, oh, that team sucks. It can never beat them. And so, you know, if the favorite's six, seven, eight, nine points, I'll take the favorite. Probably just tease them down with another game and just take the favorite. So so that's the downside of being a huge fan. You get blinded because of these narratives that fans, by definition, get drawn into. So, you know, like I said earlier, disengaging as a fan has been one of the best moves and best things for my my betting and my handicapping. You know, and I'm not I'm not a, a, an expert at that yet because I still have a bias like anybody else. But I do my best to learn and know everything about all sports and and, and try and shed that. So either way, um, uh, by the way, I'm doing a such a great deep dive this off season on soccer tactics, like soccer approaches, mid game tactics, what all these different coaches like to run. It's been awesome so far. So either way. You have to know the sport, in my opinion. You have to at least watch the games and know the sport, not necessarily the players, the coaches, but you've got to know what you're watching when you're recapping. So uh, that's number one, math. Number two, uh, have the ability to be unbiased. Number three, have knowledge of the market. Number four, you've got to know the sport. And then finally, number five, this is one's easy. You've got to have some money. And now easier said than done. That's maybe the hardest one, <laughs> right, to actually do. But once you do all this, you've got to have some money. You've got to have a big bankroll built up because you've got to be able to withstand the losses. Now, kind of going back to knowledge of the market, if you really do have knowledge of the market, I'm assuming you have knowledge of statistics, probability, and how the market works. Therefore, you know that you're not going to get rich in one year or even a couple of years doing this. You're going to have a lot of wins. You're going to have a lot of losses. It's about long-term. That's what this is all comes down to. So you have to have some money built up with all this. So this was part one of how to become a pro next Wednesday. We'll kind of dive in to all these things a little bit more and go in detail for how to actually step-by-step become a pro. And by the end of the series, hopefully I give everyone out there who wants to know, wants the information, plenty of information and a great jumping off point for doing this yourself. So appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow for right on Sports Betting Daily. All right, let's get to it. Part two of our How to Be a Pro series. Uh, every Wednesday for the next couple of weeks, next several weeks actually, we're going to be doing uh, different parts of this series, how to become a pro sports better. And I'm doing this because I've heard from several of you on social media over the last couple of months about this topic, whether it's um, how to be a pro specifically, tips, keys, you know, how to get how to get here. And uh, I figured we'd do this kind of a little series every Wednesday. So I know not everyone listening is interested in this, but a lot of people just want to make more money. So this is if you can take a, a little bit here, a little bit there about this, this is how 
I make money and how I'm going to instruct everyone to, you know, if they're interested in it. And then for those who do want to know, we're going to continue the series today. So if you missed last week, we talked about the basics, the very base that I believe you need to enter the world of sports betting as a pro. If you missed it, go listen. And then this week, we're going to talk about lifestyle. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But look, a reminder here, this is how I do things. This is how I believe that the average person can do things. And again, last week I built the whole base, the whole groundwork, you know, for what you'll need to enter this. But there's a lot of ways to win in sports betting. I know tons of people who win different ways. This is how I know how to do it. So if you follow these steps, I'm very confident anyone out there, if you do things the right way, don't half-ass anything, follow through, do everything very well, I think you can do this uh, yourself. So let's get to a part two lifestyle. So let's start off with the lifestyle because lifestyle will change if, if and when you become a pro sports better. That's a big thing you'll notice. Um, the, the workload. Let's talk about workload because a lot of people look at workload and lifestyle as connected. Whether you hate your job, you love your job, most people look at work connected with how they view their lifestyle. And the way that sports betting works, again, the way I do it, the way I know successful people do it, you have to be ready to work a lot. See, most people think sports betting is an easy living. Oh, you just bet on sports? Like, even my good friends to this day, because I'm not very, I don't talk a lot about my day-to-day, my hour-to-hour, what I do, even with my friends. And so even my buddies will be like, what do you do all day, dude? You just like bet on, you just literally bet on sports. You just watch sports all day, (laughs) you know? And, uh, that, you know, obviously there's a lot more that goes into it, but most people think it's an easy living and it's actually the opposite of that. You've got to be ready to work long days, long weeks. I've I've never worked more in my entire life. And trust me, I've made way more. So you have to love sports betting. You have to love this process because let me tell you, You can make more working less doing a lot of things that are easier than sports betting. The reason, part of the reason why I do this is the lifestyle. I like to be home with my dog. I like to be, you know, I like to have the freedom to go get lunch, you know, wake up. And honestly, I wake up early as hell every single day, but wake up when I I wake up when I want, not set an alarm. I haven't had an alarm set in, in years, you know, I mean, I go to bed early. I try and, you know, schedule everything, everything. So it works out well and I can work because you got to get up to bed early. But the point is I like that freedom and I'm going to sacrifice. I do sacrifice a lot of money that I could be making doing other things to data scientist to have this living, you know, and, and just to be completely honest, pull back the curtains. I've been doing this now for about six years and I just got married. We're thinking about starting a family. I'm debating, do I use my data science and get a little something on the side, get another job? Because there's some times where I don't make any money in a month. There's some times where I make a lot of money in a month, but the ups and downs of sports betting is something you have to be ready for. It's part of the lifestyle. You're, sometimes you're going to make a lot of money. Other times you're going to go through spells of losing and losing money and it's going to suck and you're going to not like it. And so there's a lot of ups and downs. You've got to be ready for that, but it's a grind. This whole thing of you're going to watch sports, bet on sports, it's going to be fun and it's going to be easy. It's not. For those who are successful betting sports, fun and easy are not two things that they use to to, to describe it as. And look, fun, maybe during some times, I'll tell you what, when I'm working my, and I'm not trying to brag or make it seem like anything because most people do this who do this for a living right they work long weekends during football season 
But during Saturdays in winter, I'm working 16 hours. And guess what? I love every minute of it. I seriously do. I love waking up at 5.45 to start work at 6 in the Premier League. Premier League. You know, and then you work all the way. College football starts. Hockey's going on. You got basketball going on. It goes all the way until 10 p.m. And that's early sometimes. Sometimes you get the Pac-12 after dark game and it's going until midnight. So, but on the average day, I mean, I'm going 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. easily. And again, like I said, you've got to love it. You can't be dreading it. You can't be, oh, God, do I have to do this or taking days off? And and, and part of the lifestyle is you've got to have someone who's willing to, to, to let you do that and to like doing that and to, to enjoy it themselves. Because my wife, Allie, is, I mean, when we first started dating, it was a bit of a shock to her. But she got used to it. And eventually, now she just likes it. She's part of everything. We've got our good routine. But... You know, if you're if you're with a significant other, a partner, or whatever, you gotta think about that stuff because that matters. If you're gonna work six a.m. to ten p.m. and not take many breaks, you, you've got to have someone in your life who's okay with not doing a lot on the weekends. Honestly, I mean, and, and look, I I'll take time off. I'll take a Saturday off, a Sunday off. Here, we'll go to a, a game on whatever. We'll we'll do stuff during the week. But Allie's great with this. And it's become a problem for other people. It's been public thing before. You know, I know people who've gotten divorced or, or because the lifestyle is so unique for a sports better. And it's something you, that you've got to be ready for in terms of the actual working the hours, putting in the time. And it's something that everyone around you, close to you, has to be ready for. So it's a big change. And you got to be ready to work. You've got to be ready to grind. Now, I know there's people out there who work in syndicate groups or have a lot of information that they say, I'm not a grinder, I'm not a grinder. But most people, if you're going to work with yourself or even work in a small group, you got to be ready to grind. All right, a quick drink of water here. All right. Let's get on with the lifestyle thing. The The next tip in, in lifestyle change is you've got to shed your fandom. And this is a big, big step for a lot of people because most people get into sports betting because they love sports. And if most people love sports, the, the odds are you're going to have a favorite team or favorite player or some kind of favorite something. Favorite city, right? Maybe you just like all the teams in your city. We've talked about this before, and I'm not going to go super in-depth for this, this concept specifically, but a fan is short for fanatic. And if you're a fanatic, by definition, you're a little bit biased, right? You don't look at things clearly. You're cheering for your team. And you've got to get rid of that because you can't be a sports better and be biased. You have to get rid of the bias. Otherwise, because here's the thing with sports betting. You're betting on your opinions. It's the end all be it. It's the great tr uh, truth serum because it's like, okay, you think that? Let's bet on it. And by the way, you've got to be ready more than, or you've got to be right more than 55% of the time. So a bias is only going to hurt you in several ways. It hurts when you're handicapping because if you love a team, love a player, or more importantly, hate a team, hate a player, hate a coach, that's going to affect the way you handicap a game. And it's also going to impact the way you watch the game because it's so important as a sports better, we can effectively watch games and say, oh, look what's going on. I was wrong with this part of the handicap. And oh, look, where I really nailed that part of the handicap. We have to watch games without that bias. And then we're, when we're evaluating the games, watching them back, and then evaluating our own handicap, we can't have that bias. So shedding that fandom, getting rid of that whole local team, and that, that, that's one thing that, if I, if I could be honest, this is one of the things that kind of sucks. 
you know, I, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I still live in Denver. And I grew up to, I, I was like a diehard Denver Nuggets fan growing up. I, ne- I went to so many games. I went to like every playoff game. I was a diehard Broncos and Rockies and, and Nuggets and Avs fan. Like, and I'll admit, I still am a diehard CU Buffs fan. And I just bet on the Buffs every week. I tell people that, you know, when I talk about the CU Buffs football, I've been betting on them every week for the last couple, like decade plus. I haven't been doing well, obviously, <laughs> but it, it's kind of weird because when I watch a Broncos game, I don't know. Look, I'm not trying to be all sentimental. I chose this lifestyle. I chose this living, but I don't, I don't watch how I used to. And I go to my mom's house. Who, my mom is the biggest Broncos fan you'll ever meet in your life. You know, she's like, she's a huge Broncos fan. And it's weird because like, I just don't cheer and have that same passion that I, that I used to. And so that does kind of suck because you have to, in my opinion, inevitably get rid of that part of you. You got to shed that fandom. You got to shed that bias. And you have to start looking at everything through that clear point of view. And to do that, you got to stop cheering. So that's kind of weird. And I know it's a weird point, but it, it's going to hurt your overall capping, I believe, and your overall sports betting. So I got to shed that. You got to shed that bias. All right, let's get on to the next one. Um, money changes. This is a huge one, obviously. This is what it's all about, right? Um, the money changes. Here's the thing about being a, a sports better. You are now your own employee, you're self-employed, right? So, so you don't have the paycheck every couple weeks. There is no paycheck. You don't have benefits like insurance and paid time off. You don't have any of that. That all goes away just like that. And so that takes a lot of getting, uh, getting used to. It's a huge change. You don't get, you know, I've been on independent insurance now for five, six years. I've everything that comes with a job that you, that we all take for granted, it goes away. And I've worked, you know, for those new to the show, it's not like I've done this for, you know, my whole career. I worked in corporate America for a long time. I worked in radio for 10 years and I, I, I've, you know, done a few other things here or there, but um, I, I get it. I understand what it's like to have that reliability, that paycheck, that that the, the the insurance, the benefits. That all goes away. So that's a change. It's something you just have to be ready for. It may sound obvious, but living it and saying it out loud, it's it's a different thing. And look, if you're rich, never mind. You can get your insurance, get your whatever. But for most of you, this is going to be a major adjustment. So the money changes are big. And then finally, as part of the lifestyle change. Friends and family, it's 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 kind of interesting dealing with people close to you. Uh, and you're going to get everything. You're going to get a lot of different opinions and viewpoints. And, you know, some people in your family and your friend group may react with hostility and judgment and say, why would you do that? Don't do that. Why? Well, you know, what's wrong with you? Some may react with disbelief, you know, think that you're, how could you gamble for a living? You're going to gamble for a living? You're going to throw your money? Don't you know the house always wins? You know, these are things I heard a lot of when I when I first started. I still hear people who aren't used to it. It's like I don't blame them either. I usually don't get into an argument, but you got to be ready for that. And I would recommend don't start an argument with everyone who says something like that. You know, just be, you know, know what to say, but don't you know start something like that. But either way, you're going to get a lot of that stuff. You know, some may be envious and jerks. I had a lot of my friends who just were great, and then I told them I'm doing this for a living. They started being assholes all of a sudden. No, really? Okay. Who's going to win this game? And (laughs) you know, so you're going to get that, you know, look, most of your friends and family are going to be nice about it. Just ask for picks. (laughs) 
and that's really it, you know? Well, here, let, let me put a caveat there. Most of your friends and family are going to be fine with it. They're just going to ask for picks and be really upset when you lose. Wait a minute. I thought you're pro sports better. Aren't you supposed to get these right? You know, but uh, that that's really it with the friends and family. But you have to be ready for that because you're going to get that from every angle. And most of you know right now, the family members who would be fine with it, who would not be fine with it, who would fight it, you know, you, you know, you probably know right now who that is, but that's part of it. So, all right, that, this was part two, not super in depth, not super long one, but uh, lifestyle. It's important. Nice way to build up from the last week's show. And uh, it's one of the things that changes the most that you have to be ready for. And, you know, I, I don't think this is looked at enough when people talk about change. People think about, oh, okay, I'm going to do this for a living and think about what you need and, and, the, and the prep and collecting data and collecting money. This is a little thing to think about. Lifestyle change is important. So I appreciate you listening. Good luck with whatever you have going on today or tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sports Betting Daily. All right, what's happening? What is going on? Welcome into Sports Betting Daily. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday. And uh, as you know, every Wednesday for the next, uh, I don't know, month or so, we're going to be doing our How to Be a Pro series. A lot of you have asked about this. Instructions, detailed step-by-step, what to do if you want to quit your job, be a pro better, and uh, do this for a living. Now, there's some of you who will listen to this and take bits and pieces, which is fine. That's great. You want to take a bullet point here, a little piece of advice there, that, that's great. But this is overwhelmingly how to become a pro better, right? How to do this yourself professionally. Now, what we're going to get into today is sort of the harsh reality of uh, doing this professionally. We're going to talk today about how to handicap and the handicapping process. And there is some stuff that I've learned recently, even I've learned very recently, that changes the way that I view handicapping and most people who do this for a living view handicapping. So let's just start off with the prevalence of artificial neural networks. I've been talking about this for a long time, and I'm not going to go too in the weeds here because I know most people, 99% of people listening, aren't ever going to get into this. But this is what I do. This is how I handicap. Artificial neural networks is just a fancy way of saying uh, computer code. Okay, do, uh, Telling the computer to do specific things within uh, computer code. That's all an artificial neural network is, right? It's more along the lines of like building what you believe to be like mimicking a human brain, but that sounds way too complex. That's not, you know, it's, it's actually a lot simpler than that. You know, you're just giving a, com- a computer in- uh, instructions and the, the, the benefit of using a complex math model like that is you have so much control over it, right? There's called weights, there's measures, there's certain ways to assign value to every little piece of information and data that we use to handicap. So that's the reality. And I actually learned this, what, last week, maybe two weekends ago from someone who's been doing this for a long time. They've been in the industry for a long time. I really trust them. And, and they, they were talking about how everyone these days has a neural network and everyone, every syndicate out there has some huge complex math model. And this actually surprised me because I thought that what I was doing, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties, going back to school, learning how to build or how to write code, how to build computer models, how to build neural networks and do this a very advanced, sophisticated way. I thought I was ahead of a large portion of the sports betting public, or at least I shouldn't say public. 
I, w- I thought I was ahead of a large por- portion of those who make money for a living betting sports. Even when I compared myself to other syndicates, right? Groups of people who have these same skills who team up, I thought I was ahead of a lot of people. Well, that's not the case, at least according to what I heard this last uh, weekend. What I'm hearing is everyone has neural networks. And what we have to remember is sports betting is a multiplayer game. It's not us versus the sports books, it's us versus the sports books as well as everyone who has bet before us, right? If the sports books open up the line, Kansas City Chiefs minus five, and you're the third person in line at the sports book, and let's say Chiefs minus five, the first person in line goes up, makes a max limit bet on the Chiefs, and the line moves from five to six. And the second person goes up in line and he goes, you know, Chiefs are minus six, but I still kind of like them, makes a max bet. And the bookmakers move the Chiefs from six to seven. Well, you're the third person in line. There's only been two people ahead of you who have bet, but now you don't get the Chiefs minus five. You get the Chiefs, if you want them still, minus seven, because it's not you versus the sports book, it's you versus the book and everyone who's bet before you. So the discouraging the discouraging thing from my point of view for all this is I thought I legitimately had a, a, a an edge on all these other sports bettors out there who are betting into the same markets I am. Well, apparently that's not the case. Now, I still love my results. I love my, my, my process. And here's a little note here. Just because other people are building neural networks doesn't make them good. I bet there are thousands of privatized, proprietary sports betting models out there that are being used by individuals like me or syndicates who are grouped up. That doesn't make them good. There's a lot of people trying to do these things. It doesn't make it a winning system. Just because you build a model doesn't make it a winning model. This is one of the things that I had to learn initially. I thought this just because I went to school, learned how to code computers, and built a model, that I was like, oh, great. Here we go. I can win. It took a long time and a lot of losing for me to realize, oh, shit, I need to actually make sure the model's good. You can't just build something pretty on the computer and hope you start winning. So even though... Artificial neural networks are more prevalent. There's more people using them. And it does discourage me a little bit. I think that all this did was sort of fast forward a couple of years what I thought was going to happen anyway. Now, like I said, I still see it every single day when I bet. I still see where I am compared to the market. That's the great thing. The market doesn't hide anything. If the Chiefs are minus five uh, on one sports book and they're minus five and a half on another and that's all the prices, that's out there for the world. Like there's no hidden information, at least what's being offered in the sports betting world. So I can see what I think compared to what both the bookies and other sports bettors think every day. The information's right in front of you. All you have to do is open up a sports book with the prices and we can sort of reverse engineer and see how they got there. So we're going to go into how to handicap. I'm going to talk about the specifics of how you can handicap, how you can incorporate this, what you should do if you don't have access to this kind of stuff. We'll go into all that. But I wanted to start today's show with a harsh reality. And this is something that I recently learned myself, but the prevalence of these very, very complex models that are used to predict games, same things that that, that people are using to predict stock moves and and things like that, right? These are very, very high level uh, computer models. People are using this. And so if you want to bet sports for a living, the the reality is you're going to have to either learn math yourself or most people, their option is going to be to team up with someone. But listen, if you team up with someone, you're immediately cutting your profits because you got to share the profits. If someone's going to build you a model, usually what the, the, what the deal is, you pay them a little bit to build the model and then either you're done with them, but it's their model they built. So most people, if you, if, if you hire someone to build a model, you can't say at the end of that, well, unless you like write it in some contract, but like, 
You can't say, okay, thanks for the model. Here's your money. Now you can never use this. I'm the only one who can use this. Now, again, if you write up some sort of individual contract, you can do this. But most people who are building models either want to use the model they built afterwards, even if they're not a sports better, and they built something that that's, can beat the market, <laughs> which is rare, they're going to want to use that themselves. Or what the common thing is to do is offer whoever built the model for you a percentage of whatever you win in the future. So if someone built me an NFL model, I may pay them 5000 to build a model, and then I'd pay them 5 to 10% of everything I won that year betting in the NFL. Right? So that's kind of how these things go if you're going to team up with someone. But the reality is, however you go about it, you have to find a way, if you're going to do this professionally, to build one of these... <laughs> complex models yourself, preferably an artificial neural network. Okay. So that's not what a lot of people want to hear, but, but, but here's the thing. Most people want to tune into this podcast and you know, me give them in a step-by-step, a three-step process, a, B and C, how to become a pro. The harsh reality is sports betting is difficult. It is hard to win long-term in sports betting. And most people simply want a shortcut. Most people want to listen to a show like this and hear the magic shortcut. How do I do it? How can I quit my job that I don't like? Start betting sports for a living. It's a lot harder than most of you understand. It just is. You know what it reminds me of? People who say, you know, individuals in in, in person who have these talks with, and I say, look, man, you know, you want to build, or, you know, a lot of my friends ask me this. It's like, hey, you want to compete with other people? You want to do this for a living? You have to learn math. You have, you have to know math. And the the most common overwhelming response or answer I get to that is, Okay, what if I don't want to do that? How can I still win betting sports, right? <laughs> no one wants to do the work. You can't. Like, like, that's the harsh reality. You can't. Now, I'm talking to those who want to quit their job and make a living doing this. You have to use high-level math. You simply can't. It's almost like someone saying, yeah, I want to be a brain surgeon. And you talk to a brain surgeon or a doctor or whatever, you know, someone at the hospital. And they go, yeah, well, you know, brain surgeons, they're usually in school for 10 to 12 years, learning, practicing, and then, you know, they have to do their residency, and if you go, I don't want to do that. I just want to, want to be a brain surgeon. Now, am I comparing sports betting to brain surgery? <laughs> uh, yes, I did in that example. But the point is, here, stick with me here, because the point is kind of similar. You know, sports betting is certainly not brain surgery, and we're not going to compare it to that or rocket science or anything like that. But it is complex. It is hard to do. It is very, very difficult to beat. So if you want to win sports betting long term, make a living doing it, make 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, $100,000 a year doing this, you're going to need a high level of math. Otherwise, you're picking, you're guessing. Anyone can do well over a short amount of time, which people don't understand how long a short amount of time is in math terms, right? When you talk about statistical significance, anyone out there, even my dog, can have a winning season. My dog, it's like Clucko the chicken. Look at CBS Sportsline. They have a they have a chicken making picks. I'm not making this up. It's called Clucko the chicken. Okay? What you'll notice if you follow CBS Sportsline is Clucko has a bunch of like 20 and 3 runs. Now he's going to have a lot of 3 and 20 runs as well, but during those 20 and 3 runs, Clucko doesn't understand the difference. He's a goddamn chicken. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just walking around, but a human being goes 20 and 3. And suddenly they think they're a lot smarter than they really are. Not understanding that, that how math and probability and statistics works. Everyone out there is going to go 20 and 3 at some point. Right? Everyone out there is going to have an amazing month or two months or a year betting sports. You try and replicate that every year. Do, a, do it for a living. You're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to lose your money. You're going to be sadly, um, it, it's going to be a harsh reality. It's going to be a very sad reality what happens long term. Okay, so 
That's how I want to start today's show. If you want to do this for a living, you're going to have to learn how to either write code and build neural networks or hire someone to do so. That's where we are with this. And if you disagree, this is how I do things. This is how I know how to win betting sports. Maybe you say, yeah, fuck that, Tyler. I have a lucky quarter and I flip it every day and I've been doing this for 40 years. Fine. You know, there's a lot of people who do this differently than me, but they can do their own podcast and tell you how to win that way, right? This is how I, over the last six years, have learned how to do this successfully, consistently. You know, we don't talk a lot of money on here. Um, you know, we, we, I want to keep some some stuff private on here, but think about this. Doing this six years and not having another job, think about it. I mean, I have to be making a decent amount of money, right? Like, like, like I have to be doing something right, and this is a part of it. Until I grasped how important math is, I could have never gotten to this point. So let's talk about the process, how I handicap my process, and then potentially, if you don't want to use math and understand you're not going to win, how can you improve your handicapping process? So let's start off with how I handicap. Remember, if you want to bet games VIG free, check out betteredge.com. When you do uh, sign up, put in promo code SBD. That's SBD for Sports Betting Daily. Sign up, put that promo code in. That's uh, put that promo code in. That's going to get you twenty free dollars. So you can start betting vig free, making more when you win, losing less when you lose. All at Better Edge. And when you do sign up, put in promo code SBD for a free twenty bucks. All right, let's get to it. So this is how I handicap. Now I would say this is how I handicap. This is how lots of other syndicates handicap. This is probably the most common way for those winning in, or for those winning in sports to be currently handicapping in two thousand twenty three because. This is the reality of being a pro sports better in 2023. Uh, this is how most people are handicapping. So like I said, we're, we're doing it with high-level models. And here's the thing. I say high-level models because that's sort of what they're called in the industry, um, even, both the data science industry and just the sports betting industry. But it sounds a lot more complicated than it really is. All the model is is just giving the computer instructions to do things you would do anyway. You know, it's just a process. All it's doing is going through a process on the computer. Let's give an example. Let's say your process for betting the MLB. Okay, let's talk baseball. Let's say you have four things you do, which is not enough, but just for the sake of the uh, example, let's say you have four things you do every time you handicap a Major League Baseball game. You do the righty-lefty matchup, right? You see, how is this lineup against righties versus lefties? You do bullpen work. Okay, so you see how healthy is the bullpen, how fresh is the bullpen, what are the arms that we're projecting to see today. You maybe do an offensive analysis last uh, 14 days, right? You go to fan graphs, you pull up the last 14 days, good on-base percentage, all that stuff. And uh, maybe your last step is you incorporate the weather, okay? So that's your four-step process for handicapping baseball. You do the righty-lefty matchup, bullpen, last 14 days of offense, weather. All a computer code does is automate this process. So instead of you going through your different websites and pulling up fan graphs and pulling up Roto, whatever it is, RotoWire, BaseballReference.com, all you do is hit one button and the computer will pull this information from all these websites and come up with the numbers for you. Okay, so computer coding is actually not nearly as complicated as you may think. It's just automating a process that you would already do yourself. Now, I do incorporate some math in there, right? We've got a incorporate a little bit of math. I use actually a very simple Pythagorean-based approach. And at the end of it, my computer spits out a line and an over-under with all of the necessary information, or I should say most of the necessary information baked into that line. 
So everything that can incorporate the line from the righty-lefty matchup to the bullpen to the last 10 to 14 days of, of offense to the weather and everything that you use to handicap is already automatically included in the line. So you know how a lot of people say, well, I know the Brewers are minus 130, but their pitching has been bad lately. Well, that's incorporated in the line. How often do you hear this in the NFL? Well, I mean, like, let's say a quarterback's out. Let's say Aaron Rodgers gets hurt for the Jets, right? And the Jets are plus four. A lot of people go, I'm not betting the Jets plus four. Well, how come? Well, Aaron Rodgers is hurt. It's like, yeah, that's incorporated in the line. That's why the Jets are plus four. Otherwise, the Jets would probably be minus three. Right? So same thing here. It's like everything's already incorporated. So when I get a line, I don't go, wow, you know, the red should be minus 110, but it's raining today. I don't have well in the rain. It's like that's incorporated in the line. There isn't any adjusting you have to do afterwards for that kind of stuff. Now, just to be honest, I do make some very minor adjustments by hand at the end of this because it is an art, not a science. And there is stuff that can't be quantified. There are some factors in a handicap that can't be quantified, such as if a team gets a new coach, Okay. Now, obviously, we can go back in history for whatever sport we're handicapping and say, how do teams do on average when they get a new coach? But that's not a great way in terms of probability to predict what's going to happen because there's all different examples. There's good examples, bad examples, medium examples. Things have gone great. Things have gone poorly. So you can't use history to say, how does a new coach uh, go to incorporate with this team? What you do is this is where it becomes an art, not a science. Now, I use my sociological point of view, right? Now, I say... Well, how, how does Deion Sanders going to Colorado affect them, right? Is it being overdone, underdone? You know, how does Pat Fitzgerald getting fired from Northwestern affect what we're going to see on the field from this team, right? These things matter, and you can't always quantify these factors. And again, that's one example. It can be a new coach. It can be, God forbid, any kind of death in the family or anyone on the, on the team. Uh, contract negotiations, right? What's going on in the NFL right now with running backs? That certainly has to be distracting some teams, but it distracts some teams more than others, obviously, right? So this is where it becomes kind of a a unique thing. This is why everyone out there is going to have a slightly different number because it is an art, not a science, but you need the science, need the math to get very close to what the final number should be or what you think the final number should be. Um, so what, the, what does this process do? That handicapping process of doing it by math, doing it largely by computer, getting the, the number that way, and then making some small adjustments and modifications by hand, what does that do? This process allows pro bettors to do a few things. It allows pro bettors to incorporate lots of steps in a handicapping process very quickly. So it saves time. And time is, time is money, right? A lot of times you don't have... Well, look, before I did this myself and I want, and I first started getting going in sports betting, <laughs> some games would take me like an hour to handicap because I wanted to be thorough. I wanted to be, you know, make sure I wasn't missing anything, but it's a time consuming thing. Handicapping takes a while. You know, even if you, it, you have your own way, you get all your websites up, you get all your tabs up. It takes a long time to handicap. So what this does initially is it incorporates lots of complex steps steps in the handicapping process very quickly, within seconds, so you're saving a lot of time. It also allows for extremely complex handicapping where all aspects are being, are being very detailed and very strictly weighted and accounted for. And like... An example is if you use the last 14 days of hitting, yeah, you can get on the fan graphs, say, okay, last 14 days, what's their average? What's their on-base percentage slugging? What's their, even like advanced stats, what's their WOPA? What's their BABIP, right? Balls, uh, 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 balls average or batting average for balls in play, right? You can look at their strikeout percentage or their ISO. You can do anything. But 
what a computer model gives you the freedom to do and the ability to do is you don't just look at the last 14 days. You can now go in detail game by game, adjust for opponent, adjust for who was pitching against them, adjust for weather, adjust for travel. You don't get any of that just looking at the stats. So these models allow for very complex handicapping that you could never get just looking at a computer. So that's that's the other thing is it does it quickly, but it also allows you to do things so much more you know, careful and precise. And it's like, if you want to incorporate last year's stats, that's what we see in the Premier League, right? Is they're incorporating last state's, uh, last year's stats way too heavily, in my opinion. But that can be tweaked. That can be adjusted. Do we incorporate last week's st- or last year's stats 20% or 22% or 19% into this year's stats, right? It's a very, very minute thing. And the great thing about neural networks is they adjust the weights for you. I don't have to go into every little thing. They, the computer, it's kind of cool what computers can do these days. They tell you what they think about what you know. And so, yeah, this handicapping process for professionals allows for, you know, very quick handicapping, but also very complex handicapping, which in the end is going to give you a more precise number. Uh, this also uh, allows uh, professionals to save money, right? They're only not only saving time, they're saving money because they don't have to pay to use any public information, right? All these public websites who offer either picks or ways to come up with your own good picks, pros don't use that because two reasons. One, they save money and have to pay for it. But the more important reason is they have their own proprietary model. If something's out there in the public and it works, we've talked about this before, it's not going to last very long. The public doesn't, or the public, the the sports betting market doesn't have an ego. If there's something out there that you have to pay 20 bucks a month to use or 200 bucks a month to use and it's working, it's not going to be effective very long because everyone's going to catch on and start using that system. So most people out there like me have our own systems. We don't have to pay to use anything else and everything's proprietary. And the last thing that this handicapping process does is gives us a good, solid, reliable money line in total. So that, that, that honestly just makes it in the end easier to make bets because if we know, based on a very complex model, the Braves should be minus 124 and their opponent should be plus 124, well, that's very simple. At the end of the day, all said and done, if the Braves are minus 115, we make that bet. There is no mulling or decision-making at that point in the process. All the decision-making and complex stuff comes making your own number. Once we have our numbers, we make bets immediately because everything's done. We've got our numbers and we see where we find value. So that's my handicapping process. That's how I do things. That's how a lot of other professionals do things. That's simply uh, what is repeated over and over to win betting sports. Now, let's get back to the artificial neural networks because, again, this is the reality. You know, most people who I would assume most people who either reached out over email or Twitter or, you know, left like uh, uh reviews about the show on Apple or whatever, I'm assuming most people who said, hey, Tyler, can you teach us how to be pros more, weren't assuming that they would have to learn how to write code and build models and build neural networks, okay? But this is, again, this is sort of new for me. I learned this a couple weeks ago, but this is the sad reality or harsh reality, I should say. It's not sad. It's just harsh because, you know, don't feel bad for yourself. Anyone can learn this stuff. It's just difficult, But if you want to win and you want to actually in 2023 quit your job and do this for a living, you're not going to win long-term doing it other ways, right? You you can't handicap like it's 1995 anymore. Hell, I don't even know what's in 1995. You can't handicap like it's 2015 anymore. You can't pull up five different tabs, look at all these different ESPN stats and Fangraph stats and Roto World stats and baseball reference stats and and do your thing where you look at, you know, righty lefty matchup and the weather. That doesn't work anymore. That's how that worked 
eight years ago. That worked 10, 15, 20 years ago. It doesn't work anymore because everyone in this industry is getting sharper and smarter and better at what they do. And as we said earlier, repeating this, sports betting is a multiplayer game. You can't compete with the best in the world just looking at ESPN. You've got to do things more math-based, in my opinion. That's how I've found success, and that's how I'm going to tell people to find their own success. So having said all that, because you probably didn't get a lot in there that you can do, right? Having said all that, I'm sorry if I demoralized you. I'm sorry if that's not what you wanted to hear, but that's the reality of what I believe in sports betting. However, I do have some recommendations if you want to improve your handicapping without using any of that stuff, okay? So how can you improve your handicapping without using any of those models or math? So first of all, Let's talk about what not to do, because I would assume of everyone listening, what, 98% of people listening to this show right now handicap this way, which you should not do. Most people do this. They decide who they want to bet on first, and they work backwards. Okay, if you hear right now, I don't know, hypothetical, Broncos minus two against the Washington uh, Commanders in the NFL, most people just decide right there. Oh, Broncos minus two, I'll take that. Or, oh, Commanders plus two, I'll take that. And they work backwards. Um, I know this because I talk to people. I have friends. I, you know, I, I, this is just how people handicap. I do another show called College Ball Tailgate. Getting really excited for that. We're about to start recording every week again for college ball season. But my partner on that show, his name is Will, probably the most diehard college football fan I've ever met. He knows most players on most teams. He knows so much about the sport. I mean, this dude, if he went on Jeopardy for college football, would dominate. However, he does the same thing that everyone else does when he hears a line. I say, oh, yeah, Georgia's whatever, this against them. Ah, oh, take them all day. Ah, oh, take them up to the 14. Ah, oh, <laughs> right? That's what a lot of people do. And it's like, and then they work backwards, right? So if you, if you decide you want to bet on Georgia, despite the number, and you start looking at stats and you say, boy, Georgia, they're playing whoever it is, you know, Missouri, and Georgia's minus 22 and a half. Oh, Georgia, 22 and a half. But you look at all these stats and, and you see a bunch of good stats for Missouri, you may just ignore those. You may say, well, yeah, Missouri's good stats, but it's Georgia, right? But if you find stats that back up Georgia, well, now those stats are valid and you use those. So my point is most people just decide who they're going to bet on. And if they happen to do some handicapping afterwards, all they do is try and reconfirm their initial point of view. Oh, I wanted to bet on them. They're always going to bet on that team. They just want to back it up themselves or make themselves feel better by trying to find some stats. So don't work backwards. It's much better to actually not know the teams you're betting on. Right to handicap blind, which is part of what I would recommend, but we'll get there in a second. So what do you want to do? If you're going to come up with a good handicapping process yourself without using neural networks, the first thing that I would do after we just talked about what not to do, work backwards, the first thing you should do is to come up with a good process yourself that you believe in. Now, my example earlier was very uh, vanilla and not complex enough at all. But the example was if you're going to handicap baseball and you have four steps, you go first, righty, lefty matchup. Step number two, bullpen. Step number three, offense over the last 14 days, right? Hitting over the last 14 days. And then step four, weather. Again, that's an overly simplified process. But if that is your process, come up with a good one and repeat that every single game. Don't take any shortcuts, even if it takes a long time, right? And even if there's a full slate of games and every team in the league is in action, you have to do that the whole process every time you bet. You can't get lazy. You can't say... Ah, uh, well, I knew I wanted to bet this. Or, oh, that line looks good off the bat. You have to do this every single time. So come up with your own process and, and make it, repeat that process every time. Um, next, what you're going to want to do, kind of back to the blind handicapping thing, 
is try and hide the team names. How often have you seen like the blind resume uh, resume on like ESPN and stuff? I think it's fun to do that stuff. It's a really interesting exercise because most people, you know, most fans of sports, which I think all of you are for the sports you bet, they do a couple things. They overestimate how good the good teams are and they underestimate how bad the bad teams are or good players or bad players. So if you're a real diehard fan of a team, you know, you, you may be blinded despite what the line is just based on who the team is, right? So if you're an, if you like to bet the SEC, you know, in our example, Georgia, Missouri, let's use that, okay? Most people would bet Georgia if they were minus 14 or minus 17 or minus 20 or minus 23 because it's Georgia, very, very elite team, maybe the best team in the country against Missouri, very average team. So most people make up their minds based on the teams they're handicapping. And this blinds people. This allows people to be very biased and very, you know, they can't see things clearly when they're handicapping because you're looking at the teams. And I will, I know this because I do this or I did this. Like if you're a human being betting sports, you're going to run into this problem because human beings are biased. So it's really important to try your best to handicap blind. Okay, what that means is try and hide the team names. Try and hide the player names. If you can, I know it's easier said than done, but if you can handicap without knowing what teams are, what you're going to find is you're going to bet on a lot more underdogs because you're naturally, your bias is juicing up these favorites just because you see good team versus bad team that's going to affect the way you handicap. So yes, the first thing you're going to do if you're not going to use math improving your handicap is to come up with a good process. But the second thing is to try and do that without knowing the teams or players that you're handicapping. Now, you say, you, you might say, how the hell am I supposed to do that? Well, a lot of these players and, and, and teams, they just come down to numbers. Like, when you think about Aaron Rodgers, you know, some people have his opinions on the ayahuasca, or have their opinions on the ayahuasca, and they like Aaron Rodgers, or they don't like Aaron Rodgers, and oh, well, you see what he said about his brother, and he's an asshole, or he's this great guy, whatever. That impacts the way they handicap the Jets. It's inevitable, okay? But Aaron Rodgers, at the end of the day, just like every other player in every other sport, you can boil down to his numbers and his stats and his series of repetition on the football field every time he goes out there. That's what I care about. I don't care about personal stuff or who the team is or who the road team is or what the way. All I care about is what do they do when they go out on the field? How can they, how do they perform? And what can we use in their past performances to try and come up with to predict future performances within the data, within the data? within the numbers. So that's why it's important to hide team names. You don't get biased or thrown off by Aaron Rodgers or any other team or player because you're just looking at the numbers. You're just looking at the stats. So I think that's so important. And the last thing is, for your own process, again, working, trying to get rid of this habit of working backwards, what you're going to want to do is come up, with, come up with the lines for each game before you look at your sports book. Most people right now open up the sports book Look at the lines and then go from there. What you should do if you want to start having more success sports betting is find a way to come up with your own line for every game. And once you have all your lines and over-unders, then open up your sports book and see where you agree or disagree. This is a great exercise. And what you're going to learn is you're going to be far off from these numbers at the beginning. But the more math you incorporate and the better you get, the closer you get to the numbers. Right now, when I handicap an entire Saturday of college football, I bet 70%. 7 out of 10 games fall right on my number. That's what you want. You want your system to follow the, the, the market overwhelmingly so you know it's not too far off. And there, therefore, you can trust your numbers when you have a, a good play or a positive EV play. You can trust what you have. 
So if you want to improve your handicapping without using math, three things you should do. Number one, come up with a good process, right? And repeat that process every single game. No shortcuts. Number two, try and hide the team names or hide the player names and get rid of that bias. And number three, come up with lines for each game before you pull up your sports book and look at the lines. Now, Having said all of this, okay, the overall thing you should take away from today's show is if you want to quit your job and do this for a living, you have to have some sort of high-level math and high-level computer coding, preferably artificial neural networks that you're using in your handicapping. Yeah, that's what you should take away. If you just want to improve your handicap with with the process we mentioned at the end of the show... Overall, I think that process of, you know, coming up with your own process, try and hide the team names, do the lines for you, you know, look at your sports book. I think that might help you improve your handicapping, maybe 1%. Okay, maybe for those who really listen, have a good feel for math, maybe like my real sophisticated listeners can improve their handicapping process by 2%. Probably not 2%, but maybe that's the ceiling. Now, unfortunately, that's not going to be good enough because as we've talked about before, the public and a public better needs to overcome a 2.5% house edge. And we'll probably closer to 2.4%, but just to make things easier, you have to overcome a, a roughly 2.5% house edge. So just by incorporating these steps, that's not going to get you there. You can't just start winning incorporating these steps. The goal of today's show was, A, to tell people how to handicap, you know, if you want to do this professionally, but B, to let you know how to improve your handicapping incrementally, just a little bit and get better here and there. That's what today's show was all about. But overwhelmingly, if you want to do this for a living, you want to compete with other people who are doing this for a living, you have to have high-level math. So, all right, that does for today's show. Appreciate you listening. Good luck, whatever you have going on today or tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sports Betting Daily.